podcasting live from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's your girl, y'all, a native of Philadelphia, certified trauma therapist, and your favorite psychologist, Dr. Dawn Gillette Crossan, dropping science with Sanity Sessions for Sisters, keeping it together when you want to fall apart. A podcast by a black woman for black women and people of color that gives the real deal on trauma, life, and mental health. And while we are excited that you are tuning in and we hope you find the topics and information useful, remember y'all, this ain't therapy and is not intended to replace a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. What up, gang? This week, we have an opportunity to hear from one of our local greats. This young lady, I met her first on Instagram, and I just loved her her vibe, her tease, her pictures are always so flawless. Her poetry was amazing, is amazing. And her work that she's done personally and has made open to the public regarding grief has been tremendous. I've had an opportunity to sit in on her workshops and been blessed. And I've also listened to her soul cast, watched and listened to her soul cast, which is absolutely amazing. So we're just so blessed, so blessed to have Miss Julia Mallory on the couch. She can be found at Instagram at the Julia Mallory. She is a poet, children's book author, and founder of the creative literary arts brand, Black Mermaids. And that's at Black Mermaids brand on Instagram as well. She also serves as the senior poetry editor for Raising Mothers, at Raising Mothers on Instagram, and hosts the Stop Shrinking Soul cast. Her latest book, Survivor's Guilt takes an unflinching look at grief. She has a Bachelor of Science from Elizabethtown College and completed her graduate studies at Eastern University. She is the mother of three children and lives in central Pennsylvania. Let's jump in. What's up, gang? Today, I'm really excited to have with us one of our local um, stars. I consider her a star. She's a younger girl, younger lady, younger woman, but she's so powerful in her message, so powerful in her craft, and so powerful in her art. And so um, we're just blessed, blessed and highly favored to have with us today, Miss Julia Mallory of Black Mermaids. Just that name, Black Mermaids, just makes me... um, just makes me smile. <laughs> just makes me smile. I love that brand. So welcome, Miss Julia. Welcome today. Welcome. How are you? I'm awesome, Dr. Dawn. How are you feeling today? You know, I told you what kind of day I was having, but <laughs> it is getting... It's going to get better. It's going to pick up. It's going to pick up. It's, it's, it's pick already up. picking up. I'm on here with you. Yeah. I see your smile. So it's already picking up. So we are good. I am good. I'm good. It'd be like that sometimes, right? It'd be that way. Listen, that's life, the ebb and the flow of it. That's the truth. You're right. And our ability to manage it is what matters most, right? So um, in addition to that uh, wonderful bio and and everything that you're doing, um, I want to hear from you personally. Like, tell us about your work. I know that you've done a tremendous amount of um, uh, work around grief and um, Mm -hmm. a lot of workshops. I've been blessed to attend one or two of those. And I hear such uh, rave feedback about 
um, the realness, the relatability of it all. And it's not, and I, what I love about it, and we'll talk more about this, is it's non-traditional in the sense that it doesn't necessarily line up with what therapists or counselors may do, but it's so powerful and it can just be such a supplement. So like, can you just jump in and tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I, you mentioned I have um, Black Mermaids, which I call it my creative, um, my creative container. And so over at Black Mermaids, I am publishing work. I am, um, I have a boutique line of graphic tees. I produce small paper goods such as calendars and note cards. And the thing that has really um, taken off in the last year or so um, are my healing workshops. And so those workshops really started around the idea of, I wanted to be able to offer the people something intentional around grief work. Mm -hmm. And so I came to grief work um, in an intentional way um, after the loss of my oldest son, Julian, in 2017. It's not something that I immediately um, stepped into, but when pandemic hit in March, 2020, um, I think it was, I was already in progress of working with our local hospice um, and doing some some grief workshops for them. And I just saw such a huge need. And so I just asked my, my online community, like, hey, would it be helpful if I held some online intentional spaces around grief? And people said yes. And so I've been, you know, doing them consistently ever since then. And so in those grief workshops, as you mentioned, I think it is absolutely um it is not meant to function as a um, replacement for therapy or kind of what we, you know, kind of cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. or grief therapy, mm -hmm. but absolutely an amazing, I think, supplement to um, to how folks are maybe moving in other therapeutic spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just also as an alternative, because some people may not be, not everybody is in therapy, yeah. right? Like not everybody is seeking out therapy. So even if this is an opportunity to just kind of talk about um, grief in an intentional way and that people can also learn from each other's experiences. Mm -hmm. um, that is some of the work that I'm doing as far as the workshops are concerned. Yeah, I, I definitely um, find the benefit out of hearing um, real stories. Like one of the things I thought was uh, amazing is how you facilitated um, the real stories within your group and people were you know opening up and, and sharing and crying and things like that and you're right not everybody is in therapy and so having right. that outlet um is can be uh can be cathartic and not everybody needs therapy you know i i recommend everyone go um because it's just you know it's cathartic and of course i'm a therapist but everyone doesn't need therapy but i think having that that support is great outside of traditional therapies you know um especially people of color we we tend to kind of cringe when it comes to, you know, formalized treatment because of some of the past, some of the histories and things like that. Um, but in the same token, you provide a space. Um, and I and I, I was a part of that space that I just thought it was very, very therapeutic. And then also, I, I really appreciated how, even though it was your space, um, that you respected other views that um and nothing nothing didn't jive really you know there was I mean I, like I shared with you before I might disagree on this point but everything was congruent with what I do anyway but you did you know but you still showed that that respect for uh, other views and sometimes that's I think that can be tough so um I think ultimately for me um and especially in that space because not everyone is going to grieve the same yeah. and so I am trying to just acknowledge the biggest thing that we can do. Um, to 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 aid us in the healing process around grief, because for a lot of us, um, 
you know, some of there's not going to be this like this healing or this overcoming death related loss, right? And so everyone is going to process it differently. I think I am most concerned with the most important thing is just people being able to to acknowledge it. Yeah, like so many of us walking around um, in yeah. deep grief and drowning in it and attributing it to so many other things and not having the language or the space to articulate it. And so I am okay if folks, you know, if their experience runs counter to mine um, or if they see things differently in a way that I don't see them, I think I'm just, um, it matters most to me that they're present and that they are showing up and able to even engage with their grief, um, especially in a society that <laughs> that really doesn't make a whole lot of meaningful space for people to engage with their grief. So no, no, um, no. I'm happy to honor. And, and and even though I'm the facilitator and I'm the grief guide in that space, I learned so much from the participants too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And our community uh, struggles with acknowledging any type of pain sometimes, you know, in terms of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, historically, because of systematic racism and um, segregation and, and of course the repercussions and ripples effect of therapy, I'm sorry, of slavery, <laughs> we have been, uh, you know, traditionally looked upon as not even being able to have those higher emotions, you know? And so we tend to Absolutely. bottle them up, right? We bottle them up because right. nobody cares, nobody listens. And then even within our own spaces, I think I was sharing with um, one of my uh, female friends from, um, we're, we we go to the same church nationwide and uh, we, we have a relationship. She lives out of the state. And one of the things I was sharing with her is I don't think that we as women have created enough safe spaces for women to be vulnerable. You know, we tend to, um, sometimes those spaces aren't there. And so I feel like that's what you're doing. You're, you created a safe space where we can be vulnerable with no judgment because a lot of times with, with vulnerability comes judgment. Absolutely. And so that's something that I'm also trying to work with folks through because I I think that I think we're getting like we're starting to get better around the language of philosophically knowing certain things like it's okay to not be okay or it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, And so I feel like a lot of times that's the that's the thing to say, like it's the right language to use, but then the actual practice of it, the actual um, embodiment of that often does not, you know, does not mirror the same things that we say. So we say one thing and then kind of do and live another way. So in the space, as far as people being vulnerability, I def- vulnerable, I'm definitely trying to create a, a space where um, people can also see themselves reflected back. I try to also come at this from all of the workshops. I'm trying to come at it from a place of, uh, we're already carrying so much um, shame in our bones anyway. So I'm really trying to eliminate that and saying that, hey, yeah. it's okay that you weren't ready to talk about your grief for 20 years, right? Like this is literally the societal instruction um, structure that you are inherited. And so it makes sense that you wouldn't want to talk about it. It makes sense that black folks, um, considering that, you know, we were like all the things that we had to do to kind of stay alive and survive in a society that, um, that has intentionally you know, has kept us well enough just to extract labor from us, it makes sense that you will not have the language or the experience or the examples of what it looks like to be able to kind of do this intentional healing and work around grief and rest and all of that. So everything you said, absolutely. Even just um, in relationship to how folks, even how white supremacy has even made it seem as if we didn't even, we lacked even the capacity to feel emotion period and so um 
Yeah, I think I. That, so I'm bringing. If people are like me, who can be um, not just a skeptic because I want to be, but just needing to have context for the world as I'm experiencing it sometimes. Yeah. Um, I try to also kind of bring that information to people too and say, hey, like it's not just you. Like this is a whole world that is invested um, in your undoing and not interested in your well-being because when you're well, you're going to make different choices. When you're well, you're going to engage with these systems differently. You're going to have a different set of expectations. So um, vulnerability and protecting that in the space is so important to me. Yeah. The, I, I like when you said it's not just you, because I think so often we feel like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. you sharing about your son, you're not, you know, you're, you're not alone. Right. And it's so, we know, right. we know women. I know tons of women. I hate to admit it, but I know tons of women whose sons died prematurely. Right. And so, mm-hmm. but, but are they, are they in a space vulnerable enough where they can have those conversations like you're providing? No, you know, and uh, and though I am a therapist and they will reach out to me, I, and I will have those conversations with them, the supports in their lives. I always find a lot of their supports. I'll say, well, what about, cause I, you know, I can't do therapy with a lot of them cause we have some type of relationship. Right. And so I'm like, well, what about, um, you know, such and such, I know you spent a lot of time with her. She's been in your life for a long time. And I'll hear this repeatedly, Julia, I'll hear we're cool, but not like that. You know, I hear that repeatedly and you would never think it because they're like together all the time, you know? And so being able to say to someone like, Hey, Julia, um, she's hoping she's holding this workshop. It is, it's, it's priceless, but this is the price she's, she's charging. It really isn't nothing compared to what you're going to walk away with. And, and knowing that you are like that person that had that experience so relatable. I think that's very important. I think it's very important. You know, even when people were saying that, like, oh, like you said, they have these, um, what seems like these relationships and then they're not, um, sometimes it can be hard to be vulnerable with the people that we're closest to. Mm -hmm. And so I've been also asking us, why do you feel like you can't share that with so-and-so? Like why, you know, some of us are still dragging around the weight of martyring ourselves, of wanting to be the strong one, um, of needing to be the strong one, of needing to be the one that needs to be needed. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those things, a lot of those things are also wrapped up into our grief work. A lot of those things are wrapped up into our inability to heal because um, instead of being able to be real with each other, especially people that are so such close proximity to us, we still are trying to wear the mask, wear the cape, you know, um, and and because sometimes we bring in shame to our interactions around this idea that um, I should be okay, right? Because I'm, and some of us have been maybe what you would have considered to be the strong friend. And so when the strong people were not okay, sometimes they have a lot of sh- um, shame around that. Like, yeah. why am I not okay? Yeah. Also, so-and-so look like they got over a situation in two weeks. Why am I still sad, yeah. right? And then when we have these conversations, a lot of times um, in the sessions, because I do m- multiple workshops, multiple healing workshops, people start finding out, like, no, everybody's acting like they okay because they're just waiting for a brave person to be able to be like, I'm not okay mm-hmm. and really mean that. So yeah. um, I, think- I definitely, I challenge people with that a lot. Like, 
why can't you tell them? Why can't you let them know you're sad? Right. Why can't you cry in front of them? Right. I, I'm always trying to to say, you know, sometimes the world ain't gonna just open up and make a space for us. Sometimes yeah. we need to make that space. Sometimes yeah. we demonstrate what we need yeah. by literally demonstrating what we need. And so if we're unwilling to kind of take that first step, you know, it's gonna be a, a step perpetuating cycle. Yeah, and I and I think. I hear what you're saying in terms of, of in terms of wearing that cape. I definitely think that's the case, um, but I also find that it's there's it's just this competition a lot of times, a couple the competition between um, those in those relationships, and I see it a lot in women, and it's and it's in men too, but I see it a lot in women where it's like, well, I uh, I don't want to share that with her because her life is great, and I don't want her to think my life isn't, or she I don't want her to think that she has one up on me, or she often makes me feel that way. That is something that we don't like to talk about a lot of times because we want to make it seem like, oh, I don't get threatened, or I don't feel jealous, when we know by certain behaviors that people demonstrate that you feel all of that. All of that. I see all that. I see that hate. I see that jealousy. And instead of being real about it and working on those things, we will pretend. The other thing I find in session is that when I ask that question, because I always ask, well, why can't you? You guys are always together. Didn't you loan her a huge lump sum of money? And she's supposed to be your best friend. So I'm always asking questions. So one of the things I get back is um, there isn't really intimacy there. You know, it's, it's like this, this like... So we're, we, we've been around each other and we're in close proximity, but we're not intimate. We, 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 we spend more of our time trying to outdo one another or pretend or wear the cape or whatever. And we haven't really developed true bonds. And that really, when I heard that, um, not so much in session did it shock me, but even in my personal life where some of my mentees, um, mentees at the church, mentees in the community, when I, when I heard them say that to me, that, you know, their best friend did not, you know, is not really, they're not really intimate with them. I'm like, wow, what is your definition of friend and how, and why, why, why are you spending all this energy and time with this person? And yet you're not intimate. And that really, to me was shocking when I heard that from some of my mentees, because I'm thankful for my best friends. I, mm-hmm. I'm thankful. And I, I, and I, I appreciate them to such a degree now because I realized that they are not as common as I thought they were. You know, they're well, not as common. And so part of what I have, um, so in my, you know, I have this, uh, stop drinking social cast, which is just a, you know, a very kind of limited, uh, interview series that I did with some folks, but some of this has come up, um, in one interview in particular, I think it is episode two with, um, Shanti Myers of the Sable Collective. And in our conversation, one of the things we absolutely talk about is kind of that lack of intimacy, kind of this idea that, um, the ways in which people shrink in the intimate relationships. Mm, And so this idea that, some of the reason why that lack of intimacy there is it's like a it's like what comes first the chicken or the egg because some of the lack of that intimacy is because we are lying to each other mm-hmm. like like we're not willing to have those conversations with our friends and so that is in a sense kind of a half truth um not living in our our full truth with to the people that are closest to us and so because we kind of have put put this um this wall up mm-hmm. we've put this wall up um again, you know, you don't have that intimacy. And I think even though we might pretend um, to not notice it, I think people can tell when we're not being real with them, mm. right? I think people can tell. And then I think, again, because the people closest to you can probably tell when you're not being real or keeping it real, again, the wall is still there because 
you have not, you know, there's, there's not this intimacy. There's not this sense of real connection. So, but I think when I, if I link in, if I liken this all back or wrap it up in the idea of grief, some of us are not willing to let those situations go because we're not ready to kind of do the grief work around mm. the ending of friendships or relationships. A yes. lot of us also have just not grown up, I think, with sometimes healthy examples of what it looks like yeah. to let things go, yeah. to let people go, to let situations go, to let jobs go. Um, not all of us have had experience of how to process loss healthy. And that is not just, again, death-related loss, but even the loss of relationships and relationship dynamics. So... When you say that, um, and I hate to like kind of even liken things like to gender, like and pathologize kind of women yeah. or like feminine presenting folks do this differently Definitely. because I also see kind of kind of and sometimes masculine identified people that sometimes there's not even like a true intimacy there to begin with. There's no, no expectation yes. of a certain yes. intimacy in their relationship. Yes. So um, I think that. Without the shame in the spaces, I'm always trying to, even in my do your work series, I'm asking people like, listen, love on the folks that love on you. Yeah. Like that's where the growth is going to be. And if yeah. we are, we have to challenge ourselves. Why are we in these situations spending time and resources and energy with people that do not feed our spirit, that yeah. don't nurture us, yeah. that we don't really think love us, that I can't even cry in front of you and yeah. tell you I'm still in pain. Yeah. And yet that is something that you will be in a public picture with saying that's your best friend yes like yes um, yeah no shame around it like don't want people to feel bad because we all have had really we've all stayed at the party too long mm -hmm. in some of our relationships definitely like, definitely so i've it, done yeah. it like this is not above any of us that's right um, that's right that's right making it relatable I, I agree i i totally agree with that in terms of like understanding that there is a piece of you know uh, unhealthiness or a piece of pain, let me say that, that has not been addressed or has not been dealt with that may cause us to seek out these affections from people who pretty much are saying, I don't like you. Like when you think- I can't, it, I can't give you the thing you're looking look for. for and, yeah. and the flip side of that, some of us has, have lost so much that we're afraid of losing There's one more, more relationship. Yep, we're exactly. afraid of losing one more person in close proximity to us. So even with that being said, um, I understand that. And what I have been, what I think I've been trying to do and help folks even process this idea of that even in our loss around grief, that grief, if we work with it intentionally, like even that can be transformative. Definitely. That even that has the opportunity to transform ourselves from the inside out and transform the nature of our relationships. Definitely. And so even though it can feel very um, painful and intimidating, the idea of like moving on from relationships um, when we feel like we've lost so much already, when we are holding, I like to say about certain things, we have to bless and release them because we're going to need both of our hands to catch our future blessings. And if we're holding on to things that have reached their expiration date, we can't make space for a new thing to be done in our lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th and, and that's one of the things that we try to work on um, in treatment because the um, grief and loss can definitely be in the form of death, but it also can be in other forms, like you said, a breakup, Absolutely. relationships, you know, loss of a job, loss of status, loss of, a, you know, different things. And so when I'm finding in session or, or just in the mentor relationship or even in my uh, friendships where there's this kind of like I'm holding on, don't want to lose another thing or just that pain, like because I think a lot of times we carry pain, we don't express it. 
we carry it right. and we think we're over it, but it really manifests itself in our interactions and in our, in our engagement with people, you know? And so then it, it comes out in a big, in a broader form, in a greater form. And I try to work with my clients and my friends and within myself to be able to say like, what's happening? What is causing me to stay in this situation when I, when I'm not feeling that I can be intimate or is it something that I, that I'm withholding because sometimes the space is safe and I can be intimate, but I'm just not willing to go there and have to face, like you said, that true, that true pain. Right. It's not always the other person, right? Yes. Like sometimes we have these unchecked and unresolved things in ourselves. And so even we're showing up again with the cat, the, the cape on or the mask on. And so we've never really shown, you know, who we really are um, in these, in these, in these situations. And I think even, you know, we are such a pain adverse um, society, this idea that everybody, you know, is supposed to be fine. Um, what you, you know, what, what you hurting about when you had a house, you know, the size of a mini mansion or yeah. when you got a good job or when yeah. you're, you know, all these other accolades, um, but none of them are never enough to, to really, um, to heal us, but yeah. they just don't. And so I think that some of us also are in our grief, we're constantly being rushed to gratitude. And so that's why I'm not a huge fan of like, well, who am I to be sad when so-and-so has it worse? Yeah. Listen. So-and-so having it worse has nothing to do with you healing the pain that you're That's going right. through. That's right. That's and it is okay. <laughs> it is okay for you to be sad for you and be sad for them too. Um, and so, so many of us, I think, how I, I think about that just when you grow up in childhood and you're like, oh, I don't want to eat this dinner. And they're like, oh, there's starving kids somewhere else. You know, like so many of us, we get that conditioning so early on about not never, like finding all the ways in which we're not supposed to acknowledge our own pain. Yes. Um, and I think part and of it is because people haven't shown up for us. I don't know that we had the resources, skills, because when you think about grief work or, or therapy or it's okay to be not okay and all those things, that's all relatively new. You know, and when I say relatively new, what, 10, 15, maybe 20 years? You know, like it's not uh, being proud to say I'm getting treatment or being proud to say I'm in therapy or being proud to say that I'm hurting or even not even being proud, but being okay to say that out loud, that's newer. That hasn't always been the case. There's always been some type of shame or stigma associated with it. And I'm not saying that it still isn't there, but I think the push to be like, it's okay not to be okay. All of those messages, I think can be relatively new. And I don't think a lot of us have the resources when somebody comes to us with their pain a lot of times we're kind of staring blankly at them like uh like my one friend told, i'll never forget my one friend said uh when she went to this other person this other friend this was years ago and she was telling them the pain and they were like you want to have a drink because they didn't they didn't really have the nature of this relationship wasn't that and they really at that time when we came back together and talked about it that person was like i didn't know what to say i didn't know what to do she didn't have the resources. And that's one of the reasons why I always encourage therapy. Because sometimes our girlfriends, they're they're not, they don't have it. And if they do, they got their own lives and they may not be able to give us that time that we need to, to kind of sort through stuff. Every and, I, and and so what you're saying is huge. I do think that our needs for support are not universally found in every person we're in close proximity to, mm -hmm. right? Like not everyone has the capacity to listen, to offer support. Um, and even their support, like you might have a friend that's like, girl, I got you on the mills, right? But I necessarily can't listen to you for two hours, talk about this situation. Right. And then you might have a friend who's like, I can listen to you for two hours, but I can't pick your kids up. I can't lend you money. I can't do other things, right? So I think definitely identifying those, um, there's so many layers. 
some of us didn't even know we could ask for help. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's just, like, yeah. that's just, Yeah, you know, it is. You're right. Like, it's... Some real, like, like, some of us didn't even know it's okay to even tell people that you're not okay. Yeah. Right? Because we, so we've, we've been exposed to maybe just kind of, um, kind of moving on and getting on folks. So, like, it's not like, like you said, we didn't, we didn't have the language, I think, sometimes. We didn't have the examples. Um, and even, even I think when you might have found supportive systems and networks, like people didn't talk about them the same way, right? So I think there's so many layers and, and, and ranges here. So I'm also imagining that sometimes when I'm talking to people about grief, I've heard it from people that I've worked with. Sometimes it's the first time that they've um, been comfortable even working with their grief, that they've even been comfortable even naming the thing of saying, wow, that person passed seven years ago. I'm just okay with admitting that, damn, I'm still not okay, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's why I said the shame part, we're making these choices from all different types of places. I think my only message is, um, you know, let's try to find some networks or some opportunities for support for some, you know, for some therapeutic supports as well. Let's try to figure out what is possible um, based on a person's unique situation and circumstances that I don't want people to suffer in silence and to never tap into the potential to transform their pain um, by working with their grief, but not not but acknowledging that everybody ain't coming at this from the same definitions right. or the same right. resource yeah. and opportunity. So even we could talk about the, the layers and the nuances all day. Right. It always just to me back to what can we start with today? Yes. Right. Like it's been 20 years. You haven't processed that loss, but what can we do with, what today. can we do with it today? Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, um, I know we both had significant, um, losses, um, in our, uh, in our lives. What would you say were ways that you managed it um, in terms of, you know, rising up from the discouraged pieces and to becoming determined to to do what you're doing? Like you use this platform, you've used, you turned this pain around to bless so many women, so many people, you know, um, and, and, and your light and your resilience, um, not having not known you personally or known you at the time of your, your loss. Um, your, your light to me was a, a, a draw when I would see you on social media and, um, your responses to comments, your, um, interpersonalness, uh, there that made you almost made you feel like I kind of, I feel like I know her, but I don't, but I feel like I do, you know? <laughs> and so that, I don't know, but it seemed to me from, from following you on social media and attending some of your workshops, it seems to me like that came out of, you kind of transformed that pain. You took that discouragement and you turned it into determination. And now you're just kind of you're doing your passion work, you're doing your passion project, you're doing your creative pieces, and you're also helping others. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Absolutely. So if I'm, I have to be honest and say that I've always been a people person. I've also like been a helper. I've, you know, always kind of, it has not been hard for me to connect with people throughout my life. Like that is just something that I think I, um, have always been able to do, even as a, as a, as a really small child. And so that is a definitely will say is a, is a personality trait that I, you know, I'm bringing to my present, my present self and my present um, work. I will say that my capacity to do the work that I'm doing now, it wasn't by chance. I have to be honest. Like I literally had to make a decision shortly after my son passed because I saw 
I saw the potential. I, I saw the potential to be so devastated by the loss. Um, I saw a, a certain type of devastation and despair that I was not familiar with. And it absolutely terrified me. The idea that that could be my life day in, day out, just kind of being either a shell of a person or getting to the brink to where it would be so painful that I wouldn't want to continue. And so when I face that, when I face that despair, <laughs> I was not, I could not be, I was not okay with it. And so it wasn't an immediate rush to like, hey, let me try to be just all love and light. Like that was never the thing, but it was like, I'm going to have to do something intentional. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to have to say yes in the direction of wanting to acknowledge the pain, but also saying, what does it look like for me to live my life yeah. after experiencing this? And yeah. so it was a certain intentionality. It was a certain decision that I made um, shortly after my son passed about, about wanting to move in the world. Um, I didn't want to lose everything that I was. If I'm honest, like I did not want to just be like, I want. I didn't want the atrocity that my family experienced to also snatch me too. And so, because of that, it wasn't an immediate like, oh, I need to turn my pain into power and I need to help people. That wasn't it at all. Because <laughs> my son passed. Like seriously, my son passed in 2017. I knew I wanted to do something intentional around grief, but it wasn't really until. So 2020 that I really feel like oh, I okay. found my footing around intentionally saying, okay, it's time because I'm not a person. I don't, I'm not into the performative nature of some of the things that, that happen, especially in the social media space, right? Just looking like we're fine just mm -hmm. for likes and things like that. I wasn't interested in that. And so, um, when it came to me, I was like, okay, Julie, now it's time. You see the opening. I was I didn't want to just do something just to do it. It was like, oh no, this this is the, the time and it's right. Um again, sat down and was very intentional about the things that I designed. I didn't just throw things together. I studied, I formulated something. And so my work really was about sometimes that hardest first step of just being able to say, today I'm gonna really try to not lose myself. Today, I'm going to really try not to drown in this space. Today, I'm going to just really try to say it is okay for me to feel multiple things at once. Yeah. Because I think that's the yeah. hardest thing for some of us in deep grief. It's just being okay with um, the reality that you're not going to always feel the same thing all the time. And being okay with when those glimmers, those glim the glimmer of joy and hope present themselves being able to say, oh, it's okay for me to still, to still feel that, to still, you know, um, feel those moments. And so for me, it was really an intentional, how did I come back from despair? Or how did I make that choice? It really was a choice. It really was saying, I'm saying yes to, to saving myself, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely can relate to the intentional piece with my most recent loss uh losses um but when i lost my parents i lost both my parents two months apart when i was 18 um i i was in, i don't nothing was intentional like i intentionally went to school and started fueling myself into education because that was what my mother had wanted me to do prior to her dying um but in terms mm -hmm. of intentional work 
to get over the grief. <laughs> I, I would have to say that didn't happen for me, you know, at all. Um, and I, and, but, but I will say because of how, how, like I heard you say, this has the potential to swallow me whole that because I was swallowed whole at one point, um, from the deaths of my parents, um, to such a degree that, you know, at that time, I, this was 1987, right? I was 18. So, you know, they didn't know nothing about trauma like we do now. Right. right. Um, and so when we look back now, for me, the deaths of my parents was traumatic. Now, trauma is relative. It may not have been traumatic for my siblings, but it was traumatic for me. Right. And so, right. but so I went for grief counseling, but even then the grief counseling wasn't what we know it to be now, you know, the spaces that we create now and the knowledge. Right. And so, and it was part of the Penn state thing. Like you got the scholarship, you up here cutting up, go to counseling or you're going to lose the scholarship. Cause you can't be up here fighting. And so I went to, um, I went to the, um, the grief counseling, but it wasn't what it is now. So I feel like I walked away with some pieces and some tools, but the real underlying issue was still there. That pain was still there because it was really a, a source of form of trauma for me at that time, right. you know? And so because of how long it took me to come out of that dark space, like I stayed in that dark space for about 18 years, but it didn't look like I was in it outside because I was accomplishing. I, you know, I got two master's degree, got my doctor, married, children, da, 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 right? All the how it looks, right? But inside, I was still hurt. And I and 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 through my relationship, I'm a Christian. Through my relationship through Christ, I I could see some of the healing. But the true healing didn't come until, like you said, I had to go to that place of intentionality to say it's time to let this go. You know what I mean? It's been 18 years. I have to do something intentional. And because of how long I was right. stuck, I was so stuck that when in 2017 I lost my best friend. I'm sorry, 2018, my best friend of um, over 40 years, when I lost her, uh, suddenly I knew that I can say at that juncture in my life, I was where you were at. I was able to say, you already know where you can go with this. You know what I mean? You already know how you, how this could be for you because uh, she was like a sister. She was the closest thing to a sister. I have sisters, but she was the closest thing to a sister I that I really had, you know, and I had, mm-hmm. I, I was intentional with that one. And shortly, maybe in 19, I'm sorry, 2007, I lost uh, my brother. I lost a brother suddenly as well. Um, have, we have a history, I have a history of loss, right? Um, it's like huge years between me and my siblings. So they were, of course, they're going to die a little sooner than me because they're a lot older, right? Or they may, you anticipate that. And I had lost this brother. He was um, sudden. And I lost all my brothers by this point, but I lost this brother. He was sudden. And um, I did, like you said, intentional. I was like, I'm giving you seven days to come home, to cry, to watch this video. But on that eighth day, you're going to have to get up because you know where you can go. You know how dark this is. You know, this is how dark this can be. So I appreciate that, that intentionality that you shared because, and that's, and I, and I love that you, you figured that out so soon and so early and so quick in terms of, you know, I know you said it was three years, but that's still, that's still remarkable. I feel like that was still remarkable. So Dr. Tuan, when you talk about the intentionality and, and, and the sudden death of your parents, like two months apart, the only reason why, so I lost my father when I was 13 years old. And so there was not that intentionality piece. It was absolutely an avoidance piece. It was absolutely a moving on, you know, I'm good. <laughs> getting all types of stuff piece, right? So, but when Julian passed, it just kind of exacerbated all the existing grief that I had not processed. And so I knew, like, that was like the, I mean, obviously it's my child, so it's going to just feel so much more significant. But even in processing the grief around Julian's death, I've been able to even just put my other grief in context. 
Like I've been able to be like, oh wow, okay, yeah. yeah. Here's the feeling that I still had not resolved. Um, and so our grief is like textured, it's layered, um, it's dynamic, it's not a static thing. So even um, when people, you know, it's, it's just not something that, like I said, I feel like we can heal through grief. I don't know if you can heal from grief, but you can absolutely, I believe, heal through it and continue to evolve and continue to move through the world in the, in the spirit of uh, being intentional around it. Um, but yeah, like you said, back in the day, it just was different. And so now, you know, we just have a little bit more um, at our fingertips. And I think for people who have not been in that space, I'm also trying to be like a messenger, like, hey, here are these resources. I don't know if you ever looked into this, but here's where the kids can go for therapy. Here's where, you know, y'all could go together as a group. Here's where, you know, like, girl, like, here's some, here's some, here's some ways to maybe get you a couple extra days off. Um, have you thought about asking for help in this type of way? Yeah. Um, you know, I just feel like feeling more comfortable and having those conversations and even just talking about what, what the people we've lost even mean to us, because mm -hmm. for some people, like, that's even hard to do. Yeah. 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 Um, I hear you. And I, and I definitely think that's part of the, that's part of the healthy pieces of the journey is when we're able to like, uh, reincorporate what we've learned from prior, prior situations such as that. Like you said, you lost your, your dad at 13. Right, so then you, patterns, yeah, habits. yeah. So, um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, um, a couple things. I got like three things left. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, <laughs> I'm I'm sure because it is still relatively new. It was 2017 when you lost your baby. Um, <clears throat> I, I call him a baby, but he was I know he was a teenager, but he's still our baby. They're still our babies, right? Um, right. I'm sure you still have those moments, right? So what? How do you find? How do you manage and cope with those moments? And what would you recommend to someone who has a new, fresh loss such as that? Um, how how to uh, be more intentional and to also manage and cope with those moments? So I absolutely still have have those moments. Um, to be honest, I have been I let the moments happen. Like I try to let hold the emotion without the um without judging the feelings, like without judging how I'm feeling. So um, I do have I'm privileged in that I do have a very flexible schedule. So it allows me a lot of space. You know that if I need to process my feelings and if I don't need to be bothered with people, I have the opportunity to do that. Um, but typically, I in the beginning I was doing a lot of meditation. Um, I was also like using, like I would take certain like herbal baths and use essential oils, like things like that, really helped me to ground myself and mm -hmm. just kind of. Um, to boost my mood as well. Um, so what would I say for folks who have recent loss is that try to find a way to make space so that you can process the pain that you're in. Um, identify some things in your life that maybe you need to put to the side for a minute or completely stop because you're going to need time and you're going to need space. Mm -hmm. Um, it's okay to, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. Like it's also like, depending on the situations and the environments, like 
it's okay to also not hide her sadness. Like, I think sometimes we're very uncomfortable with the same people see us cry or process different emotions. Um, and that has been something that I just have been like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not well, actually not apologizing for it, but if I have to cry, I just have to cry. Like, it's just tears. Like, y'all be fine. I know that's right. right. Like, I know that's right. Like, I'm, I'm dealing <clears throat> with, you know, a dead child here. I think y'all can handle a little bit of tears. Um, so I think also just being unapologetic and acknowledging, um, how you feel and what you need and, and really the biggest thing I know it's hard because some of us don't have a lot of experience in asking for help, but please find ways to ask people for help. Please find ways to call them, um, favors, um, also, just be okay with people may not do everything the way the truth would do it, but be okay with things being imperfect. Yeah. Like, if they get done, um, you know, it, it may not be 100% how you want it to be, but be okay with understanding that your life is going to be different. Yeah. Like, some of us, that is a hard thing in grief because we, you know, we're going through something substantial. And the, the biggest thing that our trauma doesn't want us to do is, like, to do something different, like, sudden, like, to suddenly change patterns, behaviors, and routines. Um, but some of our healing is absolutely depending on us changing our patterns and our habits and our routines so for me as a person who has been highly interdependent and can move through the world in a very independent way um grief challenged me in that way it made me be like can you bring me some food um it made me say hey yeah. i need a ride here because I had a very um, traumatic experience in trying to locate the hospital where my son was at. And so I could not, um, after his passing, I couldn't drive for mm -hmm. a while. Wow. And so I had to call people. I had to be like, yes, can you take me to Target? And I had to be okay with like, yeah. Um, Dang, yeah. am I taking too long? Is my cousin like, is he ready to go? Cause he's waiting for me outside of Target. Like I had to be okay with that. Yeah. I had to be okay with like, Oh, I'm, I'm the, I'm like, I need help. Yeah, I know that can, that is, yes. I feel you I on that one. Muscle, but it's like a it's like a muscle. Like I say to folks, just how like if you are exercising and you starting out your, you know, you know, you're a person that you know how it is. Like our muscles get they get more flexible yeah, the more that yeah. we use them. Yeah. And so just how, you know, you holding a plank for 30 seconds and working your way up to two minutes or being able to go to Zumba and not having to sit down after 20 minutes. The more you ask for help, the, the yeah, more, yeah. Um, the more that you exercise that muscle. Um, I don't know if it gets, you know, y'all might say, oh, it's never going to get easier or whatever. I don't know. You probably might always have some low key discomfort, but it definitely gets better, especially when, if you call, if you got some good people in your life, which I'm, don't get me wrong. A lot of this is assuming that you have good people in your life, that you've surrounded yourself with people that, that you love and that they love you. Yeah. And if, so if those conditions are true. If those conditions are true, I am trusting that those folks are going to have your back. And um, it's okay to ask for specific support, too, because I know sometimes people get uncomfortable with that. It is okay to tell people, um, it's not helpful when you call me at this time of morning to check on me because I'm too sad to talk. But it's helpful if you check on me after this time. Yeah, You know, it's not helpful when you ask me what I want to eat because I'm in a grief fog and I can't even think of that. So 
like it's okay to also be very specific in your ass. Like you, you don't have to just take it because somebody's helping you. Because most people want to know how to help. Like I don't want to just be running around doing stuff. And yeah, it's not and it's not helpful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I would say that, like to somebody that's a new grief, old grief, if you're ready to do this work and you just, you know, if you're in deep pain, um, some of those things again, just a quick, you know, recap of that is give yourself space and time. Um, get comfortable with other people's discomfort <laughs> because there's going to be some of that mm-hmm. where you're going to feel like, oh, other people are sad. Let me go tend to their sadness. Other people are sad. Let me, let me do other things to distract from my sadness. Don't do that. <laughs> the yeah. last thing is, yeah. if it's three, three tips, the last thing is be okay with asking for help. Even when it's uncomfortable, um, calling those supports because you're going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make yeah. you, it does not make you weak. Like yeah. every, like we're not meant, we're not put on this earth to do these things by ourselves. We're just yeah. not. Yeah. And I, and I found that not to compare yourself to somebody else's healing journey and don't judge yourself on a journey. Cause I think we can get so judgy. I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should have been over this. Why is this taking so long? And sometimes people can judge us, especially if they see us as those people that wear capes and masks They, you know, they'll say, you need to put this down. Or I think that was the worst when I was going through my parents' death, how everyone had an opinion about, I should be over it by now. And it's like, are you serious? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so don't, don't judge yourself. Don't compare yourself on a journey and don't take in other people's judgments. Like everybody, every, it's relative. It's all relative that, okay, that's how long it took you to heal. I'm sorry you feel I should be further along, but I'm not. And this is where I'm at. And that's that and accept it, you know? So I think the, I thank you for those tips though. They were great. Everything you say though, when you talk, you're just, it's so poetic to me, your speech, your language, your words. I just love how you put your sentences, how they flow. They just seem like flowetry. It's like poetry when you speak. I enjoy hearing you um, talk. Um, last thing. Can you tell us about your new opportunity? I was so hyped to hear about it. I was really uh, happy for you. It just, it really uh, made my day. And because um, if you could tell, I'm a little bit of your fan. <laughs> and um, also um, any handles or anything like that on social media that if people wanted to find you, check in on those workshops. I know you have a website. Like, can, So can you share those mm-hmm. last tidbits with us as we as we wrap up? Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Dawn, for even um, for allowing me the space to talk about this. But I have recently accepted a position at uh, Raising Mothers, which is an online publication dedicated to telling the stories of um, the mothering and parenting stories of BIPOC uh, persons. And part of part of so I'm the, the senior poetry editor there. So if you're listening to this and you write and you want to um to submit your work, please, you know, please check us out online on Instagram at, at Raising Mothers. And so I'm excited to be there as a writer, as a storyteller, as a poet, because I want to be able to, to publish other folks' work who may not necessarily um, find space in mainstream publications. And so I think um, a lot of black and brown and indigenous and other people of color, like our parenting and mothering stories like we we kind of exist at the margins like no one is like people don't really 
like we need a space to just see ourselves reflected back. And so, and when we talk about parenting and mothering too, like sometimes the people that we need to parent or mother is still ourselves, right? Yeah, like we need yeah. to, a lot of us yeah. need to do the child work. Um, and so even on the platform, there's space to talk about that as well. Like some or people who desire to be parents and are yet not parents. Like it's not just like, oh, I have birthed a child, um, a foster or child or things like that that determine if someone is a parent or, or is mothering. So um Raising Mothers is making space for for those type of narratives. So if you are, if you're someone that wants to talk on those themes, like absolutely please submit, um, su- submit your work. And I'm the senior, like I said, the senior poetry editor. I would love to read your poetry. Um, I am also, as far as the workshops are concerned, so depending on this area, but I'm actually shifting my focus a little bit with the workshops and trying to make them more inclusive. So kind of opening the space and kind of taking them from behind kind of this paid wall at the moment and saying, hey, maybe this will be less intimidating if you can get this information. Because all I care about is sharing the messages. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. not so much attached to the medium. Yeah. So if people are like, hey, Julia, I'm still scared. I don't really want to come in your little private room and talk about grief, but I will listen to you if you're on IG Live and sharing tips and allow me to ask questions from the comfort of my own bedroom. Um, and so I'm going to try that out for a while. Nice. Even trying to move some of my, uh, my writing um, presentations and things like that over in a more live and interactive format that's kind of open to the public because again I just want the message to be shared right, um, right, right. when it comes to grief because I never and to be honest I never want to charge black people for grief work I just don't yeah, <laughs> so that's something that I'm still you know working through and and thinking of other ways to make the work more inclusive and accessible yeah so uh, Black Mermaids is getting ready to kind of shift to kind of an IG live series. Okay. And, um, I'm, you know, the messaging, you know, the messaging might shift slightly just because it'll be in a live format. So it might look a little different, but the core, inf- the core information and the core resources will all still be intact. So I'm excited to kind of share this new pivot, um, with the public as well. That's awesome. Um, uh, so your handle is at Black Mermaids on Instagram too at Black Mermaids? So I have two handles okay. that I um my main page is the Julia Mallory. Okay. And then my brand page is Black Mermaids Brand. Okay. And so you can pretty much I think I'm gonna do most of the workshop offerings or the live series from my main page. Um, and then if folks want to support the work and get things from Black Mermaids, like, you know, they can visit the IG page. Gotcha. Um, but at this point, I feel like my identity is interwoven with the brand. I don't really see kind of any distinction. So you can find me, you know, either one. you can access me in one of those places. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited about that, uh, at Raising Mothers and all the work that you're doing. And as a therapist, I, I thank you for that additional support to our community, um, to us as well. It's, um, <laughs> I think it's hard when you're a therapist to really get good support. You know what I mean? Because you know, I, I tell my friends all the time, like, listen, now I need you to listen to me. Let me finish my story first. And they're great. My tribe. Thank you. Love you. I thank God for you. Um, Sage is part of my tribe. Uh, and I have, uh, yeah, I have three others and, um, they, but the three others have been my friends, one since high school and the other ones since I was five and six years old. So I'm just, I'm thankful for my tribe. And then we lost one as I shared with you, but sometimes I'm like, Hey guys, 
let me let me share and they'll laugh and they'll be like, you know, it's all about us. So, um, but as a therapist, sometimes it is hard to find um, really good support, especially around these types of topics. You know what I mean? And so, you know, being able to, you know, click, click on, not be the facilitator and just kind of be fed. I, I thank you for that. I thank you for those platforms. I thank you for those mediums. And I thank you for um, just the example that you're setting to our community on being so transparent about something so close to our hearts, but still maintaining that balance. And I think you do that right. very, very well. So um... I'm just trying to build, I want to be a part of no one of us. And this is where we get burned out because, you know, too few of us are taking on too much of the burden. Right. And so, or I don't say burden, but the responsibility. And so I just want to be part of a healing ecosystem. Yeah. Right. I don't want to be the only person doing grief work or the only person talking about these topics. I just want to be part of an ecosystem that people can see themselves reflected back and see a space for them. Um, and then, okay, someone needs more intentional and more intense um, work. Okay. Well, I, cause that, you know, you're on the list. I told you that I keep mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. uh, black therapists, black feminine pre uh, presenting therapists in our community that when people are like, Hey, somebody, I need a black woman therapist to go to. And I'm like, Oh, here's my list cut and paste. You know, I hope it all works out. Right. So I'm just part of, I just want to be part of a healing ecosystem for our community because our community is strengthened when we are all sharing the responsibility to get well. Right. I hear you and I see that and I thank you for it. Thank you so much. Uh, Julia, again, I can't um, begin to tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out for our little podcast. We are small but strong. My community, yeah. uh, I love the saying gang. They're awesome. They feed me as well as I feed them. And so we're just really honored that you took time to be with us today because you got a lot on your plate. Um, you made us feel real special. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> That's it, gang. This week's Sanity Sesh with Dr. Dawn. I hope you enjoyed this episode and walked away with some life-changing nuggets. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. And we would love to connect with you at SanitySessionsForSisters at gmail.com, on Instagram at Dr. Dawn on the Real, and please join our Facebook group, The Sane Gang. All right, now, I got to go. Have a blessed and prosperous week. And until next time, y'all, stay sane.